0: Welcome to Through the Line, the Agency Squared podcast with me, Andy Barjury. In this episode, I'm talking with Alistair Dryborough, who is an agency consultant, and we are looking at the subject of value-based pricing. The idea that as agencies, we can sell our expertise on the value we create rather than the time it takes to deliver it. And if you're in the agency world, you've no doubt had this conversation or thought about this many times, and wonder just how on earth you're going to get to a situation where you stop charging billable hours and start charging based on value. If you're running an agency, I promise you this is going to be a really interesting conversation for you and well worth 30 or so minutes of your time. Alistair really is an entertaining and educational kind of guy. He knows his onions and he's great to listen to. So with that in mind, I hope that you enjoy the show. Alistair, hello, how are you doing today?
1: I am very well, thanks Andy. And I'm um, looking forward to talking about value-based pricing.
0: Yeah, thank you for joining me. Value-based pricing is one of those topics that I think has, it kind of comes around every now and again. Everyone gets very excited about it and then doesn't necessarily know what to do about it. A bit like kind of performance-related pricing or pay and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I was pleased when I came across you as somebody that is an expert in this space and can maybe unpack, decipher some of the mystery, shall we say, of how to to use value-based pricing. And we had a really nice conversation about this a few weeks ago, didn't we? And and, uh, I knew immediately that I was talking to somebody that knew their onions. So thanks for agreeing to come on the show. I also knew as well that I hadn't really explored your background enough to introduce you properly, much to my uh, embarrassment. Okay. And I can see that you've done plenty of work in terms of financial management and accounting over the years. And yeah. I believe you've worked in the agency space quite a bit. Yeah. But, but that's about as far as my understanding goes because we chatted well, so much I, about- should, I,
1: should, I, should I fill you in a bit on that?
0: Yes, please. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, well, I guess probably the... the- the place to start is probably got it feels like such such a long time ago 1983 when I graduated with a degree from maths and Cambridge. Now, if I'd had any sort of proper career's advice at the time I would have become either a journalist or a psychiatrist or a spy. But instead <laughs> I chose to become an accountant. And this was this, this was the start of a, of a, of a long and and winding path. I've been When I was still a finance person, i have been finance director of six companies in total, periods ranging from five years down to um, 10 days. But the the next probably important thing is that um, as part of this long and winding path, I ended up as commercial director of a marketing consultancy. And we helped large pharmaceutical companies launch their major new products. Okay. Um, and things were things were chugging along quite well, until this is this is one of the things you wake up in the middle of the night thinking, "Oh my goodness!" I realised, you know, these products our clients had spent hundreds of millions getting them to launch with all the clinical trials and the regulatory approvals and all of that, and there was always competition. Somebody else always had a very similar molecule yes. that they were about to launch, and so the difference between launching really well and becoming number one in your category and launching badly and becoming number four was astronomical. It was in the billions. I mean, Glaxo, for instance, went from being a sort of third division New Zealand company that no one had ever heard of to a global powerhouse thanks to one product launched spectacularly well. Right, okay. Yeah, also, also treatment called Zantac. So it suddenly occurred to me, you know, we significantly move the odds of a successful launch through what we're doing. So we're in a position equivalent to a big investment bank advising on some gigantic transaction, some merger or acquisition or multi-billion dollar fundraising. So I thought to myself, why are we not as rich and powerful as Goldman Sachs?
0: Yes, we're compensated very differently, aren't we?
1: Yeah, you know, we spend our time seething with frustration because of some stupid argument with a junior product manager over the cost of an illustration. (laughs) And that was what got me really interested in the topic of pricing. So then I went on and I, I did other finance director jobs with, well, Today, they'd call it FinTech. Back in the day, it was boring old banking technology. Um, briefly, finance director of a private army. And then I became an independent consultant. And I moved from doing general business advice. And I realized that just about everyone I advised, the biggest single lever for improvement was better pricing. And then I went even more niche when I realized that, you know What? The people I really enjoy working with are the creative people, the creative agencies and the consultancies, the people who work with ideas. So then basically by a process of elimination, I arrived at what I'm now doing, which is pricing strategies for consultancies and creative agencies.
0: Yes and somehow I stumbled onto your mailing list and you send out these really yes. short entertaining snippets mm-hmm. of ideas around pricing and, I, and it's. I don't subscribe to many newsletters because quite often they're terrible but yours actually is something that I quite look forward to receiving because it's short and invaluable.
1: Good, good. Okay, can I take that as an an opportunity for a very, very quick, shameless plug? Um, If anyone feels inspired to subscribe, they're very welcome. The (laughs) URL is intelligentpricingarchitecture.com.
0: Well, you know, I was going to ask you for that at the end of the show, but you've got it in early doors. So that's fair enough. But let's go back to then this idea that, pricing strategy is an area that most creatives and actually I would say most marketers don't really understand haven't quite got their head around although of course you would say that you could say that pricing is part of the marketing mix I think as an industry we're not very good at pricing and agencies certainly struggle with this as well in terms of typically what agencies do is sell time for money uh, yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, I would say, how 90% of the industry probably works. And sure, there's commissions here, there, and everywhere. But most of us sell time for money. And your approach is different. It's, it's yes. not time for money. It's value for money, isn't it? Basically? Yeah. So how does that work? How do you, as an as an agency owner, how do you move from a position of saying, it'll take me 10 hours, it's going to cost you a 1,000 quid, to you're going to earn a million pounds from this because of the value we produce, I'm going to charge you a 100 grand. How do you shift that?
1: Right, okay. So that gives me a good lead-in to the most important point I wanted to make, is that what you've given me is step one of the value-based pricing process. It's actually understanding this thing is going to take, you know, this thing is going to make you a million pounds. Now, it might actually be my working out how to make you a million pounds is something, who knows how long it takes me, because actually it was just a brilliant idea that came to me while I was in the shower, which quite often happens. But the reason value-based pricing, as you say, has come and gone uh, is because that's just step one, and there's a step two to it and a step three to it. And what happens if you listen to what you what's what's generally out there, and you just implement step one? Is as I've found this, other people have found it. You come up with your value base, your understanding of value. You think, yes, okay, this thing will make you a million pounds, so it deserves a a decent fee from us. And you put this in the proposal, and you present the proposal, totally convinced that it's a fantastic thing for the client, and they would be insane not to buy it. And then you know what happens? It's like oop. Suddenly, like someone's flicked a switch and the temperature in the room has gone down 10 cent- centigrade. <laughs> and after that, it's like they've gone into a witness protection program. Yeah. <laughs> but you still have unlimited access to their voicemail.
0: Yes. Yeah. We've all been there, I think.
1: Yeah. 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 And that, that's why, if you only do the first bit of value based pricing, it actually makes your frustration worse. Because the more convinced you are of the huge value of what you do, The bigger the disappointment when your proposal doesn't land with the client, in extreme circumstances, you end up thinking, oh, bloody hell, am I actually actually as good as I think I am? Yes. Am I any good at all? Because you've only done step one of the process
0: so there's two things there i really want to have a look at how do you establish what that likely value is at the outset of a project but before we get to that this word you've used a few times is process
1: yeah
0: and i think having a defined process for how you arrive at value-based pricing is extraordinarily valuable so can we have a look at the stages in the process obviously step one is value but where do we go from this
1: Okay, right, so step one is value now you need to be clear about your own value and quite often to be honest people aren't because you know because they're too close and as one of my associates brilliantly put it, you can't read the label from inside the bottle so it's often very useful to get an inside an outsider to say you know what that's worth a lot more than you think it is, but let's assume we've done that so I think the best way to understand the rest of the task is what I call it's the oxygen versus coffee problem. Now I'll ask you and your listeners what's more important to you, oxygen or coffee? Not a trick question, of course. You know, if you're a carbon-based humanoid life form, oxygen is more important than coffee. You know, if you're not, you know, if 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 you have any listeners who are not carbon-based humanoid life forms, could they please get in touch? Because I'm fascinated to meet them. <laughs> anyway. But then the next question is: Okay, given that you've just said oxygen is more important to you than coffee, how much in a typical week do you spend on oxygen compared to how much you spend on coffee? Well, obviously, you spend more money on coffee. Now, why is this? Why are you spending more money on something that's less important to you? And the answer is because you can get oxygen for free. Coffee needs to be paid for, and A lot of creative agencies and consultancies, they present their unique, massively powerful, massively valuable offerings like oxygen. Yeah, we know it's really good, but I can get something apparently similar in lots of different places. So it would actually be irresponsible for me as a client to pay you lots of money for it.
0: Okay, so in the context of how agencies win business, it feels like you're describing the pitch process in that here's all my ideas for free. Oh, by the way, my top two, three, four, five competitors are also going to give you all my ideas for free as part of that pitch process. So hang on a minute. Why do I need to pay for the value when I can just, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's because ideas, you know, some ideas are hugely more valuable than others. No question of that. Um, in John Capel's, one of the legendary ad men in the 40s and 50s, he gives an example of two ads, look very similar, carefully written copy, photographs, same publications, same same positions. One produced 19 and a half times the results of another. But if you just go through a standard pitch process and you present all these ideas, you haven't established in the mind of your prospective client your superiority, you maybe have established the fact that it could be very valuable. It could produce this amount of extra revenue. So there's another couple of steps you need to go through. And the, the step, step two is to set up the right comparisons. So um, my, my favourite example here is the 17 words which raised a fee by 150 so this was a friend of mine an executive coach got an inquiry from a big law firm um said would you be interested in coaching some of our senior partners well yes of course he would then you got the question what's your hourly rate yes and we talked about it. i said andy look you know usually you know what i say about hourly rates do not touch them with a the barge pole but unfortunately with lawyers. Their whole lives are organised around the billable right, hour. Yeah. You know, you'd have better better chance of converting the Pope to Islam <laughs> than you would of getting a lawyer not to think about things in hourly
0: terms. They're hardwired, aren't they? Billable hours. Yeah.
1: yeah. No, I said don't try to fight it because you'll lose. Work with it. So you told tell them this: my hourly rate for coaching is the same as the hourly rate of the lawyer I'm coaching. It's so reasonable. You know, not even a trained litigator would argue with that. <laughs> I
0: don't know how you could argue against that. It's a brilliant sure. response. So, you know, yeah. these, you
1: know these, the, other, the other terrible thing about lawyers is they're trained to argue. Yes. That's what they do for a living. I think a lot of them do it for fun as well. But it worked. So he's now he's coaching senior lawyers for 500 an hour. A friend of his who's just as good a coach, if not better, Struggles to get beyond two hundred because he works with industrial companies where the executives don't have hourly rates. So you choose your comparisons. And this is this is this is this is the fundamental law of pricing. Nobody ever ever evaluates a price in isolation. You can't. Right. It's always by reference to something else. And either three possibilities: either you choose your point of reference, you set it up in a way that works for you, like my hourly rate is the same as the lawyer I'm coaching, or you leave it to the client to try and make a comparison. In which case, you get stuck with a, an, a the, the going rate, you know, the market rate. Yes, and there is no going rate, market rate for unique, brilliant solutions to horrible problems, which is what we do. Or even worse, they end up comparing it with the do-it-yourself option, which, of course, has an apparent price tag of zero. So you've got to set up that that, that comparison effectively. And this is this is where my, my interest in behavioral economics came in. I, I, I wrote a book which involved quite a deep study of behavioral economics, ended up teaching it to investment bankers for several years. And this is all about you know, the, the psychology of how we make these decisions, how we evaluate rather vague and woolly things. So if you can set up the right comparison there, you've you've taken a big step forward. And then step three, um this is all in a guide which you can get when you subscribe to the newsletter you've just recommended. There, second (laughs) plug. But step three is you've got to make it look unique and different. And there are various ways of doing this. My favourite one, though, is you've probably seen, you may probably got my email about the cure for McKinsey envy.
0: Yes. I yeah,
1: I hear people say, you know, McKinsey do the same thing we do, no better, they charge five times as much. Yes. Silicon Valley PR agencies charge two or three times as much as we do, and we can do things they can't. Um, so if you want to start charging McKinsey-type prices, you can either be like McKinsey and slog away at it for 60 years and build your reputation and get your alumni and strategic positions everywhere. And to be honest, I'm 61 already, so that's not a viable strategy for me. <laughs> you know, absent major advances in medicine. <laughs> or you can steal one of their another item from their playbook which is really clever and really powerful which is turn it into a proprietary process yes so you can look McKinsey's 5 Ps for installing um purpose in your organization it's got a beautiful picture and you look at this you think wow this is McKinsey's I can only get it from them clearly they've done lots of these because they've got it down that means yes they probably almost certainly it'll almost certainly work. And it looks like something I'm going to spend a lot of money on yes. justifiably. So I did this with a, a client of mine, digital agency. They had this thing they were doing for three or four or 5,000 pounds. and I looked at it and said, on, this is massive. You're helping your large retailer client uncover huge, new, completely untapped markets. You should be charging more. And we've looked at what they did. And with, Minimal, minimal bending of the truth. We managed to get it into the seven C's format.
0: I love that. I mean, I I teach a lot of marketing, so McKinsey's yeah. seven S's, for example, yeah, is yeah. a model I reference an awful lot. So yeah. the seven, sorry, the seven C's. Did you say?
1: Yes, yes. we, we managed yeah. to get you know seven steps, each each starting with a us C: customer, channel, commercials, yeah. and, and a few others that I, I, yeah. I can't into my mind now. So. And that took the fee from three or four or five thousand pounds up to forty-six thousand.
0: A phenomenal improvement.
1: Yeah. Because some brilliant ideas unfortunately look like someone else's brilliant ideas. Yes. My unique process, in their case, the seven C's, in my my case, three step intelligent pricing architecture, that's different. That's got a level of uniqueness about it.
0: Yes. It suggests, that, yeah, that you've done it a lot. You're a true expert yes. in this space, so much yeah. so that you've created your intelligent pricing architecture three step process, or yes. your seven yes. C's for retail channel excellence, or whatever yeah. that particular yeah. thing.
1: And, I mean, you know, it's, it's it's also it's also genuine because what what happens and what what happened with the digital agency I mentioned is we said, okay, what can we do here? What do we got? And we came up with the seven C's. And we went through, you know, point one, yep, we're doing 80% of that already. Point two, we're doing sixty percent. Point three, ooh, we're only doing twenty-five percent. We need to increase that. So once you've got your framework or your process or your steps, whatever you want to call it, working, you have actually come up with something more powerful than what you were doing previously. So it's not entirely presentation. You've also got a you know genuine story behind it as to why this is more powerful mm. why this is more likely to work why this is actually worth a lot more money
0: that I think that makes perfect sense because you can evidence the the fact that you have done this you've got track you've you've understood that as a defined process i I kind of get that. And, and, I, and I think that's really important. And we talk a lot about processing in agencies so that you can get away from the day-to-day running of an agency for yes, the owner yes. or the founder, for example. But this is a different kind of process. This is a process yes. for how you position yourself in the market, basically, isn't it?
1: Yeah. yeah. And how you, you, know, you, you, know, you position yourself as unique. Yes. It's not you as one of a crowd. It's at at worst, it's you versus the best of the rest.
0: That's right. This is the only place I can go to to get the seven Cs. And the seven Cs is exactly what I need for my my challenge. I've got to go to this agency. Otherwise, where else do I get it from?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Makes sense. Okay. So is that the three-step process then? So first of all, understanding and defining... The your own, your own value then it's to context really isn't it the comparisons yeah yes. and then last it's you know doing something that is unique to you that you can own it's your own proprietary model method system whatever that looks like
1: yeah yeah
0: and and that actually doesn't sound that difficult but it is isn't it
1: well, it is. I mean, I'd like actually to go back to the, if I could, I'd like to go back to the, the first yeah. step, which is understanding um, your true value. And that that can be enormously difficult. You know, yeah. there is my digital agency client doing something for three or 4,000 pounds that ended up as 46,000 pounds. I mean, another example I've got, I've got on, on my bookshelf, so I've got this book and the, the author's preface ends with the rather gloomy sentence I had hoped to write a good book. It has not turned out that way, but the time is past when I could do anything about it. So that was what the author thought of his book. Wow. Then, if you read the blurb on the back of the book, it says. On its first post-posthumous publication, this book was recognised as a masterpiece. That was a posthumous publication in 1953. This book was recognised as a masterpiece. Um, ensuing decades have confirmed that assessment, and uh, this book is now considered as the single most important philosophical work published in the 20th century.
0: The, the you know the opposite ends of the scale in terms of understanding the value That's of right the text. yeah
1: and the, the, the book is the book the uh, book for the philosophy geeks is is Wittgenstein's Philosophical Investigations but anyway I think the problem was because Wittgenstein was comparing what he'd actually written with this ideal view in his mind of what he wanted to write which may have been realistic or it may have been not. He wanted to write the absolutely perfect book. He basically, he wanted to end philosophy by answering all the questions.
0: An an impossible task, surely.
1: Which is an impossible task. And I think a lot of creative people and consultants set themselves those sorts of impossible tasks. And because we fall short of our own Wildly, widely exaggerated goals, we lose sight of the fact, hey, you know what? It's not perfect. And you'll come back in a few years' time and think, oh, I could have done that better, could have sent that better. But it's actually, as of today, it's massively better than anything else this client is ever going to find. Mm. But we can't see that partly because, you know, if we weren't constantly striving for excellence, we wouldn't be in this business. And partly because we're so close to it.
0: Do you, do you think as well there's an element there that creative people are our own harshest critics?
1: I think a lot of creative people are very um, insecure. And actually, it's not me thinking that. I mean, I'll, I'll quote uh, David Ogilvy yeah. here. David Ogilvy said one of the one of the things about running an agency which he obviously knew everything about was that you are managing a lot of very insecure people. And he also says I have never once started on a project without thinking oh my god this time I'm going to fail.
0: Wow. That says a lot about the the psyche of David Ogilvy doesn't it from you know one of the true greats of the industry
1: yeah but he he had he clearly you know he clearly he clearly had doubts and i think he recognized that a lot of the other great people he mm. recruited had had, had 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 similar doubts and so i think you've got you know um i remember one of my clients said oh, we need a pricing model that leaves our personal inadequacies out of it <laughs> and i said no you don't Right. They were very impressive people. I don't think they had personal inadequacies, but I said, no, you don't need a pricing model that leaves your personal inadequacies out. You need a pricing model, a system that actually works. So, you know, forget psychotherapy. I mean, do that if you want, but you don't need it in order to price effectively.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, when, when, when I think about value for clients over the years and that agency client relationship, many times you see you'll do a piece of work, let's say it's a fees, a hundred thousand. And then you ask for the impact and you either the client will say, I can't release that, that's commercially sensitive, or you get a, a realistic, well, the pipeline off the back of that project was 10 million or something. And you think, wow, you know, that's a significant contribution. Or you have a kind of target, whether it's a ROMI or a ROAS, for example, you know, we're going to spend $1 with you, but we want $20 in return kind of stuff. And that gives you a real pounds and pence sense of value. But some of the things that you've referenced, like going back to Glaxo, for example, it's impossible to know the value of the contribution you're going to give for the launch of that drug before it's launched.
1: How
0: do you reconcile that? How do you work with that?
1: Well, if you, look at, if you look at the system at step one, understanding your value, there's a checklist of about six or seven different areas in which value can exist. So it might be financial in the, you know, the return on investment metrics you've just referenced. It could be competitive about market share, share of mine, but there's some sort of interesting ones. One particular interesting one which people very often miss is assurance. Now, I had a client, um, they were doing something for free. They were scanning social media, looking at questions that were being asked, looking at questions that weren't being answered very well by anyone currently there, and suggesting opportunities for their client, and also basically keeping their client on top of what was going on in a very, very scary, so this the middle of the pandemic, right. and their client was a big retail chain with all its shops closed. And I said to them, look, you know, you're doing this thing, that's actually hugely hugely valuable to them it's the difference between them feeling like i know what's you know i know what's going on i might not like it but i know what's going on i know what the next thing is going to be that comes at me so i can develop a plan to deal for it it's the difference between that and just complete mental collapse you know as some people got to in the pandemic you know like you know a bit like rishi sunak you know rabbit staring at the headlights so it's the difference between the rabbit staring at the headlights and the person who if you like is competently surfing yes tsunami and they got that and we found a way of packaging that which i stole for them from 1970s military strategy And and then that became, you know, that became a £10,000 a a month retainer, which subsequently became a £20,000 a month retainer. And interestingly, it was the only thing that client kept going right through the pandemic when all their shops were closed. Gosh, okay. Yeah. And that's, 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 the value, that's the value of um, assurance. How,
0: how did you put that £10,000 price tag on that piece of work, though? Because obviously, you know, traditionally an agency would say, well, it's going to take us 10 hours a week to do yeah, that monitoring well, and reporting. Right, yeah. That's not the way you did it.
1: No, I mean, what I would try to do in a situation yeah. like that is to say, okay, look, what is, what is the level of business that we're actually supporting here? okay and one of the things we talked about there we came up with this concept of customers adrift this was a retailer which had a it was based around repeat business and so if people lost the habit of going there reasonably used to be regularly would they come back once you reopened so we we could talk about these figures, you know, what would happen if 25% of your existing regular customers who you've been investing in and nurturing for years, what would happen if they never came back once you opened the shops? Cause they'd lost the habit mm. or, um, you know, they, they, they'd found an alternative, you know, it's just, you know, it's just like me, you know, years and years ago, I would go to the dental hygienist every six months and then something happened. I lost the habit and they lost me for about four or five years. And the, you know, the session I had at the end of that was so painful. I'm going to go back to doing it every <laughs> six months. But yes. and that's the point. You got repeat business; it can be lost, and so that's 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 what I we, see. What we so you painted about. the picture
0: right. of if you don't do this, you might lose a yeah, proportion yeah. of your repeat customers. So a lot of assumptions go yeah. into it, but enough for the client to say, mm. "Oh, actually, you're right. You know, if people get out of the habit, yeah, this could yeah, be yeah. extraordinarily impactful.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, another one, another one, I mean, this technique has got a little bit of a bad rap recently, is the whole idea of control. Now, that was, that was the idea that sold Brexit, take back control. But I was actually there years earlier because when I was doing one of my finance director jobs, I did crisis management, and I ended up as the CFO working for a chief executive who was the most unpleasant and difficult person I've ever had to deal with. Um, but I found a way of getting him to do exactly what I wanted. And it came to me I was reading their marketing literature and this word control kept jumping out at me. And he was a total control freak. So I'd say, you know, we need more accounting staff to keep control of whatever. And he hated the finance department, thought it was a waste of space and wasted money. But if it was about control, he'd authorize these extra hires. We need some more accounting software to keep control of maintenance I expenditure. See. Yep. I honestly think if I'd said to him, we need to invade Poland to increase our control over the European market, he would have said yes.
0: <laughs> so in other words, finding the, the what matters most to the, the audience.
1: Find what matters most, and it's usually not financial. I say this as a finance
0: director. As an industry of marketeers whose job it is to understand our audiences, to find out what they care, and uh, need and want, and sell them stuff. We should be able to do this, shouldn't we, really?
1: Yeah, uh, I think it's easy to get hung up on the return on investment calculations. But my, you know, my current theory of this is people do things because they want to do things. And it's about being able to sleep at night in the retainer example it's about feeling in control that's massive for lots and lots of people it's maybe about i want to do something that's going to make me look good so i i get the next promotion or i can leave this crappy company and get get a job somewhere better yes. whatever it is or there's the weirdly freudian stuff that my my wife is a psychotherapist used to specialize in that's i think what they really make the decision on but then of course you need to give them the rational basis yes. Which comes from all your, your your various return on investment calculations. And you know, I used to say the only people who actually make decisions based on spreadsheets are venture capitalists and private equity people. Then I realised that's not true either because you know they are basically driven by panic. They're driven by fear of missing out. Yes. They don't want to be the firm that didn't didn't invest in the first Facebook <laughs> funding. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll fiddle that I I did some due diligence for a venture capital firm. They wanted to do the deal and they fiddled the due diligence. You know, I pointed out to them, you're projecting 105% market share in year three. They didn't care. They still did the (laughs) deal.
0: That's really interesting. I've been doing some work with a startup recently and they're trying to raise some investment. And I I did a a marketeer's forecast that was reasonably... Conservative, and they wanted no, no. Let's go for the ambitious. And I highlighted the fact that yeah, the, yeah. the audience numbers were incredible, but they still wanted to go for it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So anyway, and you know, moral of the story is you need your you need your financial calculations, you need your return on investment calculations. But the thing that will actually move people is 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 somewhere else.
0: alistair I get the sense we're just touching the scratching the surface of a really actually a fascinating subject, but. I, we um, we must draw it to a close. So if people want to find out some more and get in touch, I know you've mentioned your newsletter, but is there another way to reach out yes. and, and say hello?
1: Okay. Um, you can go to the intelligentpricingarchitecture.com page. Um, you will then get, uh, you can you can get the newsletter and I'll, I'll give you a guide to the three steps how to get paid what you're worth and i'll also give you access to a very quick online assessment so if you do suspect that your pricing could be working better for you three minutes completely anonymous um and it will tell you either reassure you or tell you where the problem is and, and how to fix it and that that will come if you'd like to um put your details into the box there um otherwise you can reach out to me by email i'm or linkedin i'm really easy to find excellent my parents knew nothing about this in 1961 but they gave me the perfect search engine optimized name. I am the only Alistair Dreiber in Google.
0: <laughs> that's excellent. Perhaps your parents are very forward thinking and saw this massive change <laughs> coming. Yeah. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing some of your expertise and your insight. I know that that's going to be of extraordinary yeah. value to many people. And uh, I will definitely be reading your book. So I appreciate that. And looking back for your earlier book, you mentioned about behavioral economics as well.
1: Yes. Is that one yes. I
0: can source on Amazon? Is that
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that's um the the title of that is Everything You Know About Everything You Know About Business Is Wrong.
0: <laughs> Very provocative. Perfect. Alistair, thanks so much and look forward to seeing you again.
1: Okay, well, thank you.